Who said that children can't change the world? This is Teenage Tech Stories, the podcast where today's teens talk about their incredible technological achievements, from developing groundbreaking algorithms to innovating in healthcare or even leading their own nonprofit organizations. These young entrepreneurs are proof that it's never too early to start making the world a better place. Hello and welcome to Teenage Tech Stories. My name is Beatriz Valero. Today I'm speaking with Alicia Aurora, a 15-year-old AI for good advocate, philanthropist, and women's health advocate. Alicia is currently developing an artificial intelligence solution for suicide prevention alongside Microsoft. In addition, she's a UNICEF youth advocate and has created her own nonprofit called Hope Sisters. Hi, Alicia. Hi Beatrice, it's so uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. To begin, why don't you just take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Hi everyone, I'm Alicia. I am 15 years old and I'm really passionate about leveraging technology for good. Over the past year, I've had a huge focus on AI and mental health. So I've been currently working on a project to detect suicidal ideation and social media content. And that started off really just as a passion project, but now it's going to be implemented in social media platforms, in platforms, around the globe to actually save lives and prevent suicide. And from there, I've also been the youngest researcher at MIT's AI lab, where I did some work around AI for mental illness. And on a side note, I'm also the founder of my own nonprofit called the Hope Sisters, really where we just, you know, doing small initiatives to spread hope. So, I mean, that's just a bit about me, but um, I like to call myself a change maker because I love to go above and beyond the status quo. Okay, so let's uh, maybe start with the first project that you mentioned. Uh, Obviously, suicide prevention is a very important thing, something people don't talk a lot about, but (laughs) more than 700,000 people die every year of suicide, and it is the fourth leading cause of death for young people, 15 to 19. So how did you first get interested in this issue? So I first started off, um, you know, I really did have a personal story. There was a student in my school, and he suicided 13 minutes after tweeting about feeling lonely. And, you know, obviously that for me was definitely a difficult time. And when I really thought about it, I thought, you know, what if there was somebody who saw his tweet or post 10 minutes or a couple minutes before and maybe, you know, sent him a message or taken some action? What if there was still some possibility of him being alive? And I think social media is so powerful because I think even especially as a youth and in my generation, we're more comfortable sharing our feelings online or to strangers than we are to our own loved ones. So I think it's quite unethical for a human to see a post of somebody saying, you know, I'm feeling lonely or I need help because we have 500 or millions of, you know, posts on our feed. But I think technology could play a really huge role in that. And I think that's really where I saw the opportunity. And for me, I knew that I had to do something about it. And I spoke to people from social media platforms. I spoke to people from big tech companies and I asked them, why aren't we doing anything about it? And the reply I got was, you know, it's important, but it's not a priority. You know, it might ruin our company reputation. So I think I really realized from that moment that no one else was going to do it. So it really did have to be me. So from there onwards, I spent a couple months learning how to code, learning all about AI, which was a challenge for sure. But um, from there onwards, I really started learning and building projects. And I started researching at MIT and their AI lab to get experience in building AI projects with real data. 
And that was really the start of when I started working on my model to detect suicidal ideation. It first started off, you know, just web scraping a hundred tweets and doing a sentiment analysis, but it slowly changed as the model grew, as the project grew. And as I realized that this actually had the potential to save lives, so I really had to work on it. I started working with a team at Microsoft and their sustainability team, where they've been helping me build out my model. You know, obviously I don't have that much depth of knowledge in AI and in building a model like that. So I've had a lot of support from them. And right now I'm kind of in the steps where I'm going to be beta testing and hopefully in the future couple months implement my model in Facebook Canada and in other social media platforms. It's been a project that's been a challenge for sure, but I'm really hopeful for the future that if we do have a model like this in place that we can save lives and hopefully people like the students in my school will get the support that they need. Yes, that's an amazing project. And I think it's super interesting because we talk a lot about how social media is kind of bad for people's mental health, especially with all, all the recent research that has been done on Instagram and everything. But mm -hmm. it's also a way to reach out to people, figure out who needs help, which is exactly what you're doing. So can you tell me a bit about kind of how it works? Does it like detect certain phrases or how do you know which post to flag? And then what does it do once it flags a post? Yes, that's a great question. And I don't want to get too, too technical because I can do that sometimes. So the first step is to really detect the sentiment behind that post, understanding, you know, what words were used, what words are similar to words like lonely, depressed, suicide, and that's obviously not a great way of predicting. So the second step is actually having a filtration system. So looking at influences, what we found was when I'm working on my, on my model was that um, there's so many influences that affect if someone's actually going to take their life whether that be how many suicides happen in the city that they live in, what's their socioeconomic status, what's the political stance. There are so many small influences that um, actually can identify what is the risk or is someone actually going to take their life and how quickly, how soon do they need support. And so once identifying that support and um, over the past couple of months, we've gotten the model to up to a 92% accuracy. So that's been quite successful. But in terms of what happens when we actually detect that somebody needs support, that's really been the challenge, you know? So what you detect um, somebody needs support, but what support are you actually giving them? And so I've had so many conversations with people and some would say, you know, just call the police. Well, I think that's probably not the best idea. Or some would say, put up a helpline number. But I think a helpline number, it's, you know, there's so many, especially youth and my generation, you know, not many of us talk to our guidance counselor. So not many of us are gonna wanna talk to a helpline number. So that's kind of my next step and my next focus is how do I actually give that support? But um, I hope that we can come up with a good way to support people on social media. Yes, definitely. And also you mentioned that you were working with Microsoft on this. So how was that experience? Yeah, I think I'm really grateful because obviously I'm not an expertise in any area of AI or mental health or suicide prevention. And I really don't want to be because I think that I don't want to be making decisions with my own assumption because then things can go wrong. So um, I guess I have a lot of mentors in the field of the technology piece, so AI, and especially the team at Microsoft, they've been really supportive in helping me build out my model and giving me guidance 
and giving me tools and steps. And so I think that has been really great. And I'm just really fortunate to have that as a team. And then secondly, on the more mental health side, I have a lot of mentors in the mental health and suicide prevention area, because as you can imagine, this, this area, it's so tricky because there's so many ethical issues, so many legal issues. So it's so important to have that guidance and that uh, mentorship around that field. So I'm, I'm really grateful because I think having that is one step closer in order to making this model implemented and actually impactful. I think it's really great that companies are talking to young people when developing products for young people. So like even in TV, you see how when they do TV shows for teens and they just get, get everything so wrong. Right. <laughs> With technology, so it works. So it's great that you, know, you are able to give that impact. Yeah, and obviously you're also doing a lot of other projects in relation to mental health, now, which is again, a huge project. And that's something that people don't like to talk about, right? Some mm -hmm. in a survey that the UK did, The Guardian, a newspaper here, did of oh, 2000 people across the UK almost 30% said they wouldn't, they would find it very difficult to admit that they were having struggles with their mental health. Why do you think this is? That's a great question. I think mental health is a huge stigma. It really is. And I think it's not just in the UK, it's everywhere. And I, I, you know, I've seen it in classrooms. I've seen it in, you know, in my classmates and mental health. I think why it's so important to me is just because it is so prevalent in my life. You know, there are days where I'm struggling with my mental health where my classmates or my family are. And I think what I think about it is if the next generation, you know, youth, we may just be 10% of today, but we're a hundred percent of tomorrow. Right. And if we don't give youth mental health supports and how do we expect them to be the future leaders or future change makers? You know, so I think that it's so important to give them that mental support, mental health support. And around the stigma, I think one of the biggest things is that we need to start more conversations. And it's it's something that seems quite simple. But I think what I've really found is through opening up about my mental health struggles, so do so many people. And as you know, as I mentioned, you know, especially with this generation, we're so much more comfortable sharing our feelings online or on social media than we are with our loved ones. And I think while thinking like, how do we change that? I think we should be leveraging that. You know, if people are sharing their feelings online, then let's give them the support that they need online. So um, in terms of project that I'm also working on, so suicide prevention is one of the main things, but at my time at MIT's AI lab, I got to work on um, research on mental illness. So meaning the biological factors of mental illness. So whether that be schizophrenia or ADHD, how does our gut, our gut microbiota connect to how we actually feel or if we actually are going to develop a mental illness in the future? And it's the research, obviously, it's quite far and extent, and but I think it definitely gives us a better understanding of our body and how mental health, although it is impacted by our, you know, our influences, our social environments, there also has a biological part to it. So, I mean, that's been quite interesting. And on the side, I'm also, an ad I'm also a youth advocate at UNICEF. So that's been quite an opportunity for me to really, you know, advocate for mental health and the issues that are important to me. Find us at Tech for Good on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at techforgood underscore. Yes, 
really amazing and I think it's really reassuring I'm guessing for a lot of people to know that when they're struggling it's not just something they're making up or it's not real um, yeah. but yeah, that's obviously really interesting so apart from obviously the work from the MIT which is amazing you've also built Serenity right which is a mental health chatbot uh, so can you tell me a bit about that oh yes I've actually been working on a mental health chatbot that was one of the projects I built and that was really just around building a chatbot where people can learn more about mental health and mental illnesses and I think that really breaks the stigma around it and that's not been a really long-term project but just something I've been working on you just do so many things. Obviously, you've also been working with, with Microsoft. You've been collaborating also with the Seattle Children's Hospital and doing studies around maternal smoking, right? And the effects on that on infants and unexpected death. Can you tell me yes. about that? I was actually part of a, a the research team that Microsoft has on the AI for Good, where they've been working on a lot of challenges around social good, whether it be climate change or poverty and how we can leverage AI for that. And one of the challenges we were looking into was maternal, maternal mortality. So meaning what happens when a woman, a woman dies because of a pregnancy and the influences smoking and doing drugs have. So that's been one of the projects which was really interesting. And we got to work with real data from Seattle Children's Hospital. So that was quite an interesting experience. And I think what I love about research is the fact that I do get to work with real data because real data is quite hard to work with, of course. And when you really think about it, um, there's so many data sets that you can find on Kaggle or other websites that are, you know, just quick and easy to use, but it's not always like that. And I think I've definitely found that working on the project I've been working on, but um, really that problem solving and that experience to work with a team of PhD students that, you know, it's been been quite interesting. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And it's such, again, such an important project. I think statistics show that nearly half of the women who smoke before getting pregnant continue to do it while they're pregnant. So it affects so many people. Yeah, obviously you've been collaborating with Microsoft a lot. I've heard that you've actually spoken to Bill and Melinda Gates. How's that? Yes. Yeah, so um, my sister and I were actually part of the Hope Sisters. So that's our nonprofit organization. And we were invited to one of the um, Bill and Melinda Gates wow. Foundation conferences where we actually got to speak to them and ask them a couple questions about our work and honestly it was a dream come true and the community there was amazing but um I yeah I definitely love the experience and with the Hope Sisters so I can share a bit more about that my sister and I we've actually started a nonprofit with the really mission of spreading hope and it's not related to technology but it's just a small initiative that we do to you know do social good whether that be writing cards to seniors or making bags for children in foster care just small initiatives to spread hope. And we got the opportunity to be in that event where Melinda and Bill were there. So that was quite awesome. Yeah, that's great. And you started this project during the COVID pandemic, right? Yes, we did. Great that you were able to like bring people hope in these hard times. Yeah, so you've spoken at that conference. Uh, you've spoken at you in Canada and you've recently won the Diana Award. So congratulations. <laughs> it's really Thank cool. You. Very cool awards. So what those recognitions mean to you? That's a great question. I think that those I think recognition I received, especially with the Diana Award, which is a it's a great a great recognition for social change makers or youth. And I think it what it really does is it really grounds me back to my mission and my purpose and what I want to do. And it reminds me of why I do what I want to do. I think especially when I was working on my suicide prevention project, it's so, so easy to give up. You know, it's it, because it is quite challenging. And I every day I'm just like, I don't want to do this. It's so hard. Why do I have to do this? You know, and I think I constantly question that as most of us do. But I think the recognition, um, especially with the Diana Award, it really reminds me that the purpose behind what I do, and it keeps me motivated to keep on doing it. 
And I think that's what I'm really appreciative for is, you know, the recognition, it doesn't mean much to me, but what does help me is that it really grounds me to why I do what I do. And if so many people believe in me, then I should believe in myself too. Of course. And I think for everyone, it's very inspiring to see someone like you doing amazing things and knowing that you don't need to be an expert or have a degree or be very old to be able to make an impact. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So obviously you have the opportunity to speak to a lot of people, very big audiences and people in power. So what is the message that you want to send? So I guess in terms of, you know, people in power, one thing I would say is that for anyone really who is a business leader, a corporate leader, a tech leader is get more youth involved. You know, youth, I think, are so powerful. And I think when I, as I really said, you know, they are just 10% of today, but they're 100% of tomorrow. And that's a beautiful saying because, you know, whatever challenges we're facing, how innovative our minds are, um, you know, we need that type of decisions being made and we need youth input in that being made because they will be the future. They will be the future change makers. So they should be involved right now. But I think for youth, what I really found is, is that they're not doing a nine to five job where they have to, you know, learn, they have something like to get something done to do their job. But I think for us, we really do things because we're interested and passionate about it. So I think that's quite awesome. And I think corporations should really leverage that they should get more youth involved, teach them about skills like AI. I cannot tell you how powerful it is to learn about technologies like that, because that is the future. You know, it's not only the future, it's what we're using today. And most corporations, when it comes to things like AI, they're using it for, you know, job um, fraud detection or making our jobs more efficient. But we can also use it for social good. And I think that's what really excites me. When I think of the world's biggest problems, you know, climate change, poverty, mental health, technology is, is an answer. It really is. So I think if we get more youth involved in corporate decisions and get more involved in what our world will look like, I think the world will be a better place. Definitely. And as you said, it shows that technology can really be used for very interesting things and very important ones. Yeah, obviously you're a UNICEF youth advocate. And as you said, you want to really want to involve the youth, and especially when it comes to girls in STEM. That's a huge issue. So what are some yeah. of the things you think that could be done to address that? Wow, that's a great question. I think um, girls in STEM, it's so, so important. And for me, um, to be honest, I've had a lot of experiences where I was, you know, pushed down just because I was a girl, you know, a student in my robotics team told me, Alicia, why do you even bother learning how to code when all you're ever going to be is a housewife? And, you know, that for me was quite discouraging, to be honest. And I think it happens all the time. And to girls, I say, don't listen to them. And I think it's it's so much more easier said than done. But don't. And I think the pushback will always be there. But the potential us as girls, as women have, it's it's crazy. And I think, you know, there's there's a saying that girls do so well in school. They succeed in school more than boys. But when they come to the corporate world, when they come to the real world, they don't. And I think what I found is, is that for girls, be ambitious. You know, don't be don't don't be put on a pedestal. Don't be don't be doing things that boys tell you you should do and you shouldn't do because anything really is possible. We have to start dreaming of the impossible. And for boys, I mean, be a better ally, be a better peer, you know, encourage girls, support them, tell them that, you know, that what you're doing is awesome, that you deserve it, that you should be doing more. Because when you can be become a better ally, be a better peer, we'll just make a better world where, you know, we don't have this gender equality between boys and girls. And I think it's so 
important that we have we have a world where our gender doesn't define our success. Our gender doesn't define what we can do. And I think for girls and especially the next generation, hopefully that will be true. Yes, hopefully. I think it's so important, as you said, to uh, make sure that this is a problem that we all have to solve, not just women and girls. Yes. That's great. Okay, so when it comes to you, what are your next projects or what are your future goals? I, I feel like I'm a, on a pretty uncertain path. You know, I'm just going to do things I'm passionate about and see how it goes. But as for right now, my main focus is my suicide prevention project and getting it to the next level where it can be implemented and where it will be um, hopefully, you know, actually being used in platforms to save lives. So that's kind of my next focus. But I guess for my future, to be honest, I have a mission statement that I love to say, and that's I really want to impact a billion people. And why I say that is, you know, kids, they want to be a billionaire, they want to be rich. But I think what's so much more powerful than that is being an impact billionaire. You know, how do we impact a billion people? And that's my goal, you know, no matter how it's being done, whether that be, you know, through mental health and technology, through women's health, which is also an area that I'm really interested in. I think if I can really work on that, then that would be amazing. And as for my future, you you know, I definitely want to go to university, go to college and get a degree in either engineering or business. And then from there onwards, really just see how it goes and do take the unconventional path, you know, take the unconventional path. So it's not, you know, I want to, I'm going to be a doctor, going to be a lawyer, not that straightforward answer, but um, it's going to be an uncertain one for sure. But I think it's definitely going to be one where I'm going to be impacting a lot of people. That's a beautiful mission, very inspiring. And I love that you're not putting yourself in a box, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast of course well thank you so much Beatrice for having me it was great I hope you can stay in touch thank you for listening to this episode of Teenage Tech Stories like, review, subscribe or visit us at techforgood.net to read more about today's guest and other incredible people who are using technology to make the world a better place